Well, it is hard to believe, but we are here. It shouldn't surprise us, but the Lord has proven himself faithful again and again and again. Uh, between getting a house ready to sell and shingles that came upon me and a devastating loss of a beloved friend's son moving here. It's been a difficult journey, but y'all are familiar with difficult journeys. And we are here now and we are very grateful. But I want to tell you too that LaGrange Baptist Church sends us with great love for you and to you. Our church and our friends there bought us a new truck when, when mine was deemed um, unworthy of traveling across the country. Um, they got our van ready for a cross-country move. They packed our house. They helped clean our house. They loaded our goods into pods. They prayed diligently for us and deeply. They gave generously to us, and they wanted you to know that they love you, and they love us, and uh, they send us with their love. They're praying for you this morning. So many of them are. Yeah. Um, we consider ourselves blessed to be here. The Lord has had me on a journey to being a pastor, but singularly, but us as a family, that has definitely included some hardship and stories I could tell later. There was a church coup one time that stopped me from being a senior pastor there. Several churches chose to hire other pastors. Doors opened and the, door did not, the Lord did not incline us to go through those doors. And in all of this, though painful in those moments, we see now that God was desiring us to be with you right here. And we're very grateful that he has protected us and guided us along the way. So thank you. My heart is full of gratitude to you for entrusting us to come and love you, for identifying uh, my gifts and calling and affirming them. Thank you for granting me this opportunity to labor alongside of you for the glory of Jesus Christ right here in Frack and in Colorado Springs and to the ends of the earth. Thank you for entrusting me with a regular opportunity to preach God's word to you, which I'm very excited about. So let's do that now. Let's turn to the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Mark, Mark chapter one. And A.W. Tozer, who I found this out this week, is a CMA guy. Um, he had an, a very significant quote that's been impactful for me. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And that's very true. If you're in Christ, I would say the most important thing about you is that you should be in Christ. You should trust him. But then the, what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And I, I had talked with your elders and some of your leadership here. We wanted to start with the gospel because we want to be amazed by Jesus again and again. We want our thoughts about God to be accurate and true, rooted in his word and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. We wanted to be regularly confronted by Jesus Christ, his deeds and his words, and then compelled by him to go be conformed into his image and follow his steps. If we are to be made like Jesus Christ, we need to get to know him. We need to gaze upon him regularly in his word. And that's our desire then for turning our eyes to the gospel of Mark. So I have three things I wanna do this morning in the sermon is number one, look at Mark, briefly the man Mark and this gospel. And two, look at Jesus from Mark 1.1. And then number three, look at us, Frack, and our unique call, our purpose here at Colorado Springs. So let me pray, and then let's look at the Gospel of Mark together. Great God and Father, thank you 
genuinely full of gratitude this morning for you, your faithfulness for this church, their love and affirmation for us, their generosity towards us as we, as we came. Um, and thank you for your son, Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you that you have conquered the grave for us. Thank you that even in distress, you're sanctifying us. And then through our deepest distress, you're making us more like Jesus. So we pray that now as we turn to your word, we will be amazed by you and will be conformed into your image, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the gospel according to Mark, Mark 1.1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. There's a treasure in this little verse. There's a lot to look at, but I want us to think about Mark first, the, the man Mark. I think I would have liked him. I think you would have liked him too. Mark is, if you think about the, the, the Bible, the New Testament that you've read, he's the John Mark that you may have often read about. And it seems that he came from a home that was very prominent in the early church. Jesus and his disciples, according to tradition, may have had the Last Supper at his house. That can't be substantiated, but it's thought that it may have happened. Um, he's a mysterious figure that many think he references himself in Mark 14 as the naked man who fled from the scene. So I think that probably shows some sense of humility. I don't have enough humility to admit that if that was me, but for Mark, he did. Uh, Mark's mother was an active presence in the first century church. It was to her house when, that Peter went when he was freed from prison in Acts chapter 12, and they were there playing, praying, sorry, praying. But Rhoda was the one that heard him knocking and ran and got excited and told him, Peter's here, but she didn't let him in. <laughs> she left him standing outside. Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but through some sort of disagreement between, between he and Paul, they parted ways. And later, when Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along, um, Paul said no. There was a, a sharp division between Mark and Paul. Barnabas decided to go with Paul. He went on a missionary journey with him, yet there seemed to be humility between Paul and Mark because towards the end of Mark's life, Paul is saying things about Mark to make sure no churches belittled him. He was protecting the reputation of Mark. He even said, and consider this as high praise from the Apostle Paul, Mark is helpful to me in ministry. That, that would be a good word spoken about you from the Apostle, wouldn't it? So they experienced division, then restoration and forgiveness. They experienced unity in the Lord. Mark knew and made mistakes yet understood forgiveness and a renewed commitment to the work of the Lord. And maybe because Mark was familiar with the mistakes, maybe that's what inclined him towards Peter. Mark and Peter were good friends. And Peter, as you know, was no stranger to mistakes. You, you may know from your recent study of First and Second Peter that Peter considered Mark his son. And there are several early references identifying Mark as the author of this gospel that he wrote down what Peter preached and what Peter taught, and they had a close relationship. And it appears that when Mark was in Rome with Peter, when persecution broke out against the early church from the emperor Nero, Peter was likely killed very soon. And Mark felt the sense of urgency to make sure the church knew what Peter taught about Jesus Christ. And so he wrote it down. He did not want these things lost as more and more eyewitnesses were being killed for following Jesus Christ. He wanted to make sure 
the gospel was recorded. And you get a sense of Peter in this gospel, don't you? You get a sense for him. He's very prominent in this gospel, but it also, it sounds like Peter. Mark will often say immediately and immediately and immediately. And it sounds almost impulsive, kind of like Peter was impulsive. And you see this influence. The, bu- the book of Mark, the gospel, reads like Instagram reels. I mean, it's like a, an action and then an action and then an action. And before you even get out of chapter one, so much has happened. And so for a church, though, that's encountering suffering, Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records our Lord's suffering and the road to the cross that would have encouraged this church again and again. They would have seen, look, it's a privilege to belong to Jesus. It's a privilege to belong in his kingdom, but it's a kingdom that's marked by suffering. And just as our Lord was faithful to suffer unto death, if they too follow Christ unto death, they will be received richly into eternity. And although Mark doesn't set out and say, this is my purpose in writing the book, what is clear is that he was very focused on the works of the Lord more than the words of our Lord. He spent less time on Jesus's sayings, much more time on Jesus's doings. Jesus was a a man of great action and Mark is action oriented from the very beginning. Theodore Roosevelt once said that ideas are of no value if they don't lead to action. And Mark shows us that the action of our Lord flowed out of his identity, who he knew himself to be. Jesus, who he is, moves him to action. So as we're reading and getting acquainted with this gospel, as we're going through it, Mark will often let the story just speak for itself. And it forces you to discover the ultimate significance of much of the story of Jesus. He'll often end the story very abruptly, very quickly, and leave you wondering, what does that mean? And I think that's exactly what he wanted. And he wanted you wrestling with, who is this man Christ Jesus? What is he doing? What does this mean? And those are the best questions we can ask of ourselves in relation to Jesus Christ. And I think we will do that together. So we look at Mark, but, but let's also look at Jesus. Mark 1.1 1, 1, Right out of the gate, Mark is consumed with who Jesus is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. It's a beginning. Everyone loves a new beginning, a fresh start. The beginning here is Jesus' launch into his earthly ministry. So he, Mark doesn't give us angelic announcements And then the birth narrative, Mark doesn't give us insight into the shepherds or the wise men like Luke. He he doesn't jump into insights into Jesus's childhood. He doesn't do what John did and go back to Jesus's existence prior to the existence of the world that Jesus always was. He just jumps into the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Action, action, action. He's always moving. And although this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry, I think it's important that we don't confuse something that's beginning and something that's new. Because this isn't new. In eternity past, the Father had planned this beginning. The Son had agreed to come and fulfill this mission. The Spirit was committed to attending to this redemptive work that Jesus set out to do. And then come and help us as we aim to follow Christ. So it's a beginning for Jesus, but it's what's been planned all 
along. We look back to the prophets and see that this work was proclaimed well in advance. Isaiah 53, that the worship team had on the screen. I did not tell them I was referencing this, but they put it up there. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's 700 years prior to Jesus. This is a new. If you look ahead to Jesus' high priestly prayer where he's talking to his father in John 17, and he says, I glorified you on earth, accomplishing the work you gave me to do. This is the beginning of a work that he was given to do by the father and he willingly and gladly submitted to. So Jesus' beginning is a beginning, but it's not new. He'll be faithful to complete, though, everything he begins, right? You know, on the cross, after he bore the weight of our sin, the wrath we deserve, he cried out, it is finished. So with the beginning, there's also a completion of finish. It's, it's a new beginning. I'm sorry. It's not a new beginning, but it's a beginning that he will finish. And that's an encouragement to me. Jesus always finishes what he begins. And so it's my first Sunday here with you officially. And I'm beginning something here and I'm so thankful that Jesus has started it and I can be confident that he will finish it. I hope that's an encouragement to you as well. So it is a new beginning for me and my family here, one that we are very excited about, but in many ways, nothing changes, does it? It's a new beginning, but we're continuing the work that Jesus has been doing here with you for a long time. And we're continuing the work he began 2,000 years ago, this beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just linking arms for the glory of God as we seek to present everyone complete in Christ. That's not new. And what Jesus has started, he will bring to completion. He will finish. That makes me very hopeful for our future together. So it's the beginning. It's the beginning, though, the, the verse continues to say, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the gospel, the good news, the beginning of good news, the work that Jesus will do is good news for you and for me and for all people. Most languages don't really have a single word that conveys the meaning of gospel. They have to say things like news that makes one happy or information that brings joy or words that make you smile or messages that cause the heart to be sweet. But gospel is the summation of all those realities. It's, it's good because of who it's about. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news about Jesus that makes you happy, that brings you joy, that brings a smile to your heart. Mark is saying that he's writing down the good news we need to know about Jesus. And it only comes to us through Jesus. He's the centerpiece of this good News. There's no better news than news about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Nothing. And I know many of you know this, but this is foundational for us in our partnership for the gospel in the future is this foundation of Jesus Christ, that he has to be the centerpiece of everything we do as a church and as individuals. And so it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, his his personal name. Jesus is a name that we should know because it belongs to the man who loved us, the man who gave himself for us. When you, you think about Jesus, is he like a distant deity, far off, hard to get to know? Or do you realize he became a man, a man who came with a mission 
and has a name, a personal name. You, you know how important it is to know somebody's name, right? I do. I'm working hard <laughs> to learn your names. <laughs> it, it communicates their value, right? It communicates that you love them and you want to know more about them and you value them as a person when you know their name and you reach out to them. And Jesus is his name and it's our savior. He's our friend. And so we should talk to him like our friend with his name. It's a great form of Joshua, Jesus is, which means God is salvation. God is the savior. You remember when his name was assigned to him by an angel. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, God is salvation. He shall save his people from their sins. And then Peter would go on to preach in Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved other than the name, the man, Jesus Christ. Our Savior's name is Jesus. And our only hope is in him. That God himself became a man, took on a personal name and came to save. So talk to your savior as your friend, Jesus. Talk to him personally like you would someone whom you know by name. And that's why it's this gospel of Jesus because good news comes through this man, Jesus Christ. And the gospel, as you know, in the rest of the New Testament will fill out the meaning of gospel, will it? won't it? I mean, there's a lot more to just good news. It's the good news that the kingdom of God is available to us through the work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, and then death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension on high, where he's reigning right now. That's good news that we can submit to our king, and he will rule over all things. This is, this is the beginning of his perfect obedience to the will of the Father, even obedient to the point of death. But this is good news that through death and suffering, God can bring about redemption. God can bring about glory. It's good news that our Savior became a man, stepped into this broken world of sin, pain, and agony to bring the forgiveness and healing and eternal joy that we desperately need. And that's what Jesus does. If you just glance ahead, right away, Jesus begins preaching a gospel of repentance, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news is for all who repent. Repent is a simple term of turning away. Turning away 180 degrees away from something. So you're turning from sin to Jesus. You're turning from a life that pursues pleasure on its own apart from Christ and sinful desires and you're saying this is worthless this is not what you've put me here for lord jesus i turn to you your life your death you are of infinite value i trust in you the good news is for all those who turn from sin and hope in jesus and trust in jesus and that good news gives you hope that transcends the the sufferings the trials of this life it's the good news that carries sarah and manish through surgeries and subsequent subsequent pain and healing it's Good news that carried Barb Sable through the loss of her precious daughter and many of you who've lost children. It's good news that causes believers to grieve with hope when a loved one passes into glory. This is good news that made my heart smile when I was stuck in bed overcoming shingles, knowing God's faithful, Jesus is king, 
He'll bring about his will in our lives. If he wants us to frack, I can't do anything right now, but he'll get us there and we're here. <laughs> Jesus is the source of all good news. He began his work on earth. He finished it. He started a good work in us. He'll be faithful to complete it. That's good news. Why can we be so confident that Jesus is the source of good news? Well, because he's not just simply Jesus. He is Jesus Christ, Mark 1, 1 says. Jesus, the Messiah. The Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah is Christ. It's not Jesus's last name, kids. Did you know that? I thought that for a long time. Jesus was his first name. Christ is his last name. I don't know where I missed that Sunday school lesson as a kid. It's not his last name. It's a title because it's the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer that the nation of Israel was promised and expected. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is who Israel was expecting, the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus is saying, Mark is saying about Jesus, this is who he is. He's the anointed one, sent with a purpose, set apart, commissioned to fulfill the will of the Lord, to do what every previous prophet, priest, and king had failed to do. As a prophet, he'll bring complete revelation to God's people. As a king, he'll bring complete reign from the tyranny of sin. As priest, he'll offer himself up as the once and full and final sacrifice for sins. Mark wants us to know who Jesus is, so he makes it unmistakably clear. The good news is of the man Jesus, who is the Christ, the long-awaited deliverer. But Mark continues, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus' identity as God's Son is of premium importance in this book. Right here, he starts off with it as the son of God. And in chapter 15, when the Roman centurion sees the way Jesus died, he'll say, truly this man was the son of God. And in that way, it bookends the whole book of Mark with Jesus, the son of God. God announces through this book that Jesus is his beloved son the transfiguration. Jesus claims it before the high priest. It's, it fits at the beginning of the gospel. We need to know who we're dealing with. Jesus is not just a great teacher or an interesting, inspiring, historical figure. He is God's son, truly and fully divine. You, you really can't take Jesus seriously and deny his deity. You really can't. You may be familiar with the whole C.S. Lewis reality of Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He claimed to be Lord. So if he isn't, he's lying. <laughs> and so you wouldn't really want to trust him. He claimed to be Lord. So if he isn't, but he thinks he is, he's a little crazy. He's a lunatic. But Mark doesn't have either of those in mind, nor does any other New Testament author. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus claims it for himself. Everybody testifies to it. And then he goes on to prove by his life that he truly is divine, the son of God. He conquers death. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He claims deity for himself 
improves it again and again. And we cannot take the deity of Jesus seriously enough. We really cannot. Our entire faith rests on Jesus being the son of God, being truly divine. Here's the secret of his being able to pay for all of our sins. He, can't, he doesn't just substitute for one man, one of us. He can substitute for all of his people because his salvation, his sacrifice is of infinite value and infinite worth because he's not just a man, he's the God man. He's divine. And because he's God and man, his sacrifice can substitute for all who believe in him, for all who come to him in faith, for all of his people. That's why his death can assure you of eternal forgiveness of sins. Jesus has to be God. If you just do a quick read through the Bible, you're gonna, through, through the book of Mark, you're gonna see all of these things about Jesus. I mean, when you think about Jesus, the way he's described, he's the Messiah. This is just from the book of Mark. The Messiah, the son of God, the son of David, a leader, the Holy One of God, sovereign over all spiritual and physical things, called the Lord of creation. He's a preacher, a teacher, a healer, a cleanser. He forgives sins. He's the son of man, the shepherd of his people, the bridegroom of his people. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, our brother, our king, our Lord, our prophet, offering true interpretations of the law. And notice how Jesus can do these things. I mean, he has to be God to do all of this. Like he's transcendent, he's high and lofty, he's Lord, but he's also friend. He's also friend. He's king, ruling over all things. And he also says, brother, like I'm your brother or family. Only a divine can be all of the things that Jesus is. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He gives you new morning mercies every day. He gives you the grace for every trial. He can sympathize with you in your weakness. He knows every single thing you're wrestling with personally right now. All of us, every sin we've committed this morning, he knows them. He's faithful when we're faithless. He can bring us strength when our hearts are weak. He can hold you fast and me fast at the same time. He alone can save to the uttermost. Who is like Jesus? There's no one like him. I mean, you come to find he embodies so many different things. No one but the, Jesus, the son of God, no one but Jesus himself can be all of these things. I find it really hard to be a father, a husband, and a pastor. Maybe on a good day, if I've had like a good night's rest, good breakfast, some strong coffee, and none of those three areas present too many difficulties. I'll do all three of them partially well, maybe. <laughs> Jesus does all of these things perfectly all the time. No one is like him. And so I'm so happy to be your pastor. And I look forward to a, a lifetime, Lord willing, of laboring together. But all that we do has to center on Jesus. He alone will empower us to do his will. He alone will bless that which brings him glory and honor. Jesus alone can be everything that you and I need. And so, so we've looked at Mark, we've looked at Jesus, but let's take some time now to look at us. Look at us. As we work through Mark, I want you to be amazed consistently by Jesus Christ. I, 
My girls have pointed out as I'm missing an exit driving down I-25 because I'm amazed by the mountains. I admit it. I'm looking up there and there goes our exit. And well, I'll get the next one, you know? Helps me learn the city a little bit. Um, But I would love for us to just sit back and be amazed by Jesus in the same way that perhaps we miss a few non-essential things because we're just caught up with the beauty of Jesus. We're amazed by him. Because when you gaze upon him, you become more and more like him. And I know there's familiarity with a lot of the gospel, but don't let that dull you to its beauty. Don't let that dull you to the beauty of Christ and who he is and what he's done. When you see how powerful he is to heal the sick, cast out demons, forgive sin, raise the dead, you know there's nothing in your life beyond his ability to help, beyond his ability to control, beyond his ability to heal and restore and use for his glory. And he still can do that, right? He's, he's the man Christ Jesus. So he, he is God, divine, but he's still a man reigning on high. He knows your pains. He can sympathize with you. So let's continually, consistently gaze upon Jesus and be amazed by who he is. But then I've asked the AV team to put up a slide with the purpose statement of Front Range Alliance. And so Front Range Alliance exists to do this. I think it'll be there, there it is. To love and glorify God by presenting everyone complete in Christ. We believe that mature Christians by the grace of God will accomplish the ministry that the Lord Jesus has given to the church. Children will be nurtured in the Lord, the gospel will be preached, missionaries will be sent, churches will be planted, and believers will do all to the glory of God as the church grows up in the faith. Just a reference, when you hear children in the worship service, it's because they're being nurtured in the Lord. So praise God for that. So we, so we want to look to Jesus. We want to gaze upon Jesus, become like him, but then we want to f- fulfill our purpose as a church because as we gaze upon Jesus, we're going to see that he's a man of action. And so I love that the statement starts off to love and glorify God by presenting everyone complete in Christ. The, the daily grind of, and joy really, not a grind, it is hard, but it's a joy, is to look to Jesus Christ and become more and more like him. Walk with him, talk with him, reflect on him. Paul labored to see Christ formed in the Galatians. He told the Corinthians that they would be transformed from one degree of glory to another as they saw the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this is only gonna happen, the first sentence is only gonna happen if we continually and consistently are amazed by Jesus Christ and we'll be conformed into his image more and more. But then, I love this next section as well that, comes right after Colossians 1.28. We believe that mature Christians by the grace of God will accomplish the ministry that the Lord Jesus has given to the church. Do you catch the community feel of that purpose statement? How essential it is for every member to be action-oriented in their pursuit of Jesus, but also then in the advancement of the gospel and the fulfillment of God's mission for us. All Christians will accomplish the ministry the Lord's given to the church. Not, not just me, I'll let you down. I admit it right now. Not just the elders, not just the church staff or deacons, deaconesses, all Christians will do this with the strength that God provides. We need each other. We need each other for this. We all have gifts and strengths and the Lord has given them to us for the advancement of his gospel. 
But he goes on to say, children will be nurtured in the Lord. Don't underestimate the value of a Christian home. Moms, I know being at home can be hard, not by experience, but because I have seen it. (laughs) And it's easier for me to go to work. I fully admit that. I think most of your husbands on an honest day would admit the same thing. (laughs) It's easier to go to work. But think about Mark's mom. Tradition says she opened her house for the Last Supper, but we do know she held prayer meetings at her home for the early church. Mom's, Mark's mom was faithful to use her home in simple ways. Her son went on to write a gospel that we're gonna study over 2,000 years later. A home in the service of Christ can feel mundane, but God can use it for the good of his church and the glory of Jesus. And the gospel that we're gonna work through is evidence of this very thing. So children will be nurtured, and then it just goes on. We don't have time to look at them all in detail. The gospel will be preached, missionaries will be sent, churches will be planted, believers will do all to the glory of God as the church grows up in the faith. I am excited to see this happen. I can't wait to be, it's already happening. I'm excited to be a part of it. I know Jesus started it, I know he'll finish what he started. And so I'm confident. I'm confident that God has good things for Frack and Colorado Springs and through us by his grace and impact to the ends of the earth. And what a gift and a treasure and a pleasure it will be to see the mission of Christ fulfilled here. So church, let's gaze upon Jesus together. Let's be transformed into his image together. And let's take Jesus, the long awaited Messiah, the son of God with us into our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and see the glory of Christ abound. In Colorado Springs, and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, let's pray together. Great God and Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a God that is faithful to complete everything you started through the work of your son, Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for sending us your spirit to empower us and strengthen us for the work you've called us to do. And thank you for this loving body. Thank you for the joy of partaking with them to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will consistently daily in and out, just consume our hearts and our minds with you, your glory, your beauty. May we gaze upon you and become more and more like you as a church and see your gospel go out. And we pray, Lord, now that we would taste and see that you are good, that through the supper, Lord, we would remember, Lord Jesus, your sacrifice for us, that we would remember that we have partaken of it by faith and that we were there when you were crucified. You did this for us. So now let us partake of it in faith and confidence, renewing uh, just the knowledge of our forgiveness of sins and our love for you and your love for us and the sweetness of standing before you with no condemnation because by your blood, by your death, We have been freed. We pray all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.